What is the foundation of a good marriage? When we think about a life-giving home, the foundation of that home is our marriage. The day we say I do is the day we begin building that home. Its foundation must be strong, firmly rooted in faith in Jesus Christ, our example of the ultimate sacrificial love, and the gauge by which we should measure our behavior towards our spouse and eventually, God willing, our children. Welcome to Unshaken. I'm your host, Julie Van Warmer. Today is episode 192. Today is our monthly installment of our Mom-to-Mom ministry. Now, our Mom-to-Mom ministry focuses on encouraging and equipping moms to do the work that God has called them to do. This year, the ministry has been focusing on each of the different rooms of a home. We have visited the laundry room, the entryway, the kitchen, and many others already. And we have many more to come. Today, we're going to take a walk into another room of the house. Taylor Castillo is going to walk us through the importance of the bedroom. Now, don't go crazy on me. This talk is actually way more than just a talk on intimacy. So if you are married, I encourage you to listen. And if you've been married for a long time, like me, 26 years or more at this point, this talk was actually really helpful to me. It reminded me of so many things that I needed to be reminded of, right? And if you have only been married for a few years, it'd be a great place for you to learn too. So let's jump in and listen to Taylor Castillo guiding us through this talk. So as Audrey said, I'm Taylor Castillo. I go to Christ the Word Church with my husband, Josh. We've been married for eight years. Uh, We have two little boys and a girl on the way, which will be a nice little change up. Um, I call us high school sweethearts. We met in high school, but Josh says it doesn't count because went to different high schools, whatever. (laughs) Uh, We are the definition of opposites attract. If you haven't met my husband, um, especially in school, I was the quiet, somewhat preppy art nerd, you know, the little girl that like hid in the studio and read books all day. And he was the heavy metal rocker dude with eyebrow piercings and a long ponytail. Um, If you don't believe me, I have a picture from high school that I'm willing to show you after this talk. We did not have the typical relationship timeline, at least not according to the standards of the present company. We actually dated for seven years before we got married, or yeah, before we got engaged and then married. Um, Many things took priority over a wedding during that time. I wanted to finish my degree in college. He wanted to make enough money to buy a house and so on. Uh, We had a level of commitment that was similar to a marriage, I would say, but we were kind of following the world's path to success, you know, checking off all those boxes before Uh, He put a ring on my finger. Um, We knew we loved each other. We were committed to one another. But we just had uh, things that we wanted to get done first, like I said. Um, In our seventh year of dating, we joined a small group through Christ the Word Church, and we quickly fell in love with God's Word and the fellowship and support we received through our group. We studied the book Holiness by J.C. Ryle, and if you haven't read that book, it's not really for the faint of heart, if I'm being honest. Um, But we, we really loved it. We prayed for each of the members in our group, and they in turn prayed for us. It was the first time that either of us had actually ever prayed for other people. We began to understand what it really meant to pursue God, to strive to be selfless as Christ was selfless. We started regularly attending church and got engaged during that time. 
A couple months into the engagement, everything was planned for a beautiful fall wedding in October. Deposits were paid, venues were booked, save the dates were sent out. I bought this gorgeous gown that I paid way too much money for. Uh, but something had changed. Our focus had shifted from how do we serve ourselves? How do we check off all these boxes? To how do we better serve God? What do we do to honor him? As I mentioned before, we basically were already married. We had been dating for seven years. So four months into our engagement and six months away from the big wedding day, we decided to get married in two weeks, which was about enough time to book a spot in the church and allow our very shocked family to make it in town. We had a small ceremony over Easter weekend with family and friends, making our vows to each other before God. Our reception was steak dinner with friends and family and a cake with a butt print because my cousin Zach sat in it. He's very proud of that. We still had the big party party in October with the fancy dress and the DJ, but I will always cherish our little church wedding and what it meant to take that first step in faith towards God together as man and wife. Plus, it's a lot of fun to tell people that we were married twice. It's a good icebreaker. In all seriousness, though, when we think about a life-giving home, the foundation of that home is our marriage. The day we say I do is the day we begin building that home. Its foundation must be strong, firmly rooted in faith in Jesus Christ, our example of the ultimate sacrificial love and the gauge by which we should measure our behavior towards our spouse and eventually, God willing, our children. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 25, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. God's word is our foundation, and a godly and loving marriage will produce abundant life. So, how do we achieve a loving and intimate marriage? How do we build that strong foundation? I'm sure many of you are familiar with the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that talks about several attributes of love. It is often quoted during wedding ceremonies or inscribed on gifts for the happy couple. I think we hear it so often in this setting that it may be easy to overlook the true meaning of what Paul was writing about. The love in this passage is not just the butterflies in your stomach, oh, I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with you, love, that's floating through the air at weddings when the marriage is just starting and the couple is full of hope for the future. Sure, that is the love that starts most marriages, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the love Paul is describing in his letter is agape, God's love, a love that is unconditional in the sense that it does not depend on the one who is being loved, but on the commitment of the one acting. There is a reason that this particular passage is so often brought up before we say our vows. God's design for marriage is to unite a man and a woman and that they love each other just as Christ loved the church. Isn't that amazing and kind of terrifying at the same time? Those of you that have been married for a while know that there are times when loving your spouse unconditionally doesn't seem quite possible, but it is. It is possible to practice this love, this agape in our marriage. This morning, we're gonna talk about a few building blocks that help build up to that foundation of unconditional love, why they're important in marriage and practical ways to live them out. The first building block we're gonna focus on today is faithfulness. Mark chapter 10, verses six through nine says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. When we say our vows to our husbands at the altar, we unite ourselves with them and promise to be faithful to them for as long as we are on this earth. 
This is one of the most important promises we make in our marriage. It establishes loyalty, vowing that, under God, our husband is now our priority and our head. In the beginning of a marriage, it's probably easy to keep this promise. It's just you and your husband, probably in the honeymoon phase. You might get your apartment or buy your first house. You start planning your future together. You have all your first holidays as a married couple, and things are exciting. Your life together is fairly simple, and not many challenges arise. Then as time goes on and you start to add to your life, jobs, responsibilities, children, it can become more of a challenge to practice faithfulness daily. In this era of social media and access to endless information, comparison is a dangerous temptation. We are constantly faced with images of influencer couples online or watching friends move ahead in life. We may not reach certain milestones when we thought we would, or maybe we are just discontent with what we have. These things become stumbling blocks, obstacles that cause us to question what we have, or perhaps question if our husband is leading effectively. This can lessen our loyalty. As our thoughts wander to various what-ifs or desires, our faithfulness weakens. So what are things we can do to keep our hearts and minds faithful in everyday life? If social media is causing you to stumble, get rid of it. You don't need it, honestly. You could try a joint account with your husband. I've seen that, or in my family, I have all the social media accounts. My husband has no interest whatsoever in social media, but I will still show him the occasional funny meme. Be genuinely happy for others' successes, or if you see them moving ahead in life. Praise God with them for the blessings they receive. Talk with your husband about what you want to achieve, whether it's house projects, career achievements, things you'd like to see in your marriage, or ways you want to parent your children. Set goals together and hold each other accountable, and work together towards those goals. Communication is very important. If you have unspoken expectations that go unmet, it often leads to resentment. This applies even to the little things. For example, maybe you're feeling overwhelmed with taking care of the kids and getting all of the housework done at the same time. You see that your friend's husband helps with the chores and you become bitter towards your own husband for not stepping in. Be open and honest about what you need and listen to your husband when he shares these things with you as well. Endless information and social media are not exactly great things all of the time, but even good things can sometimes cause us to drift away from faithfulness in our marriage. I remember when I was pregnant with our first baby and I was in the throes of the first trimester and my hormones were raging all over the place. In a particularly vulnerable moment in the midst of a conversation with my husband, I sat down on the stairs and I started to cry and I said, I am so afraid you're gonna love this baby more than me. I am afraid that we're not gonna be the same. It's pretty dramatic, I know. Looking back on that moment now, it does seem silly. In fact, if either of us was in danger of prioritizing our kids first, it probably was me. It is easy, especially when our children are in the little years, for our attention to shift more towards them. After all, they are pretty needy and they require a lot of attention. Even as they get older, life fills up with extracurricular activities and more challenging parenting moments. This is all normal and spending more time and attention on our children when they are more needy or when they get sick does not necessarily mean we're prioritizing them over our husbands. But it is important to remember that between our husbands and our children, our husband should come first. This reinforces the biblical idea of one flesh, we referenced earlier in Mark, and cultivates a strong relationship with our spouse. It is also important for our children to see that their parents put each other first. It teaches them a good, godly example of a strong marriage and exemplifies the idea of laying one's life down for another. Here are some things that you can do to put your husband first from a practical perspective. 
Let your children see that you prioritize your spouse. Serve him first at mealtime or make coffee for him in the morning before you get breakfast ready for everybody else. Take care of your body and nourish it. Get some light exercise, drink enough water so that at the end of the day, when the kids are in bed and he's home from work, you have the energy to spend quality time with him. I know we're just getting out of January and all the new year, new me resolutions are still going on, but this is important to keep in mind every day. We are to be good stewards of our bodies. Listen to your husband's preferences and care about them. Place boundaries so children don't interrupt conversations with your spouse. Prioritize date nights or time spent alone together. If this one is difficult for you, try making your bedroom a no-kid zone and explain to them that it's your space to be together. In many ways, faithfulness and loyalty build up to honor and respect, and that's the next building block we'll be discussing this morning. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 11 through 12 says, The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. What does it mean to do good and not evil? This particular scripture can mean many things, but in this context, it could mean respecting our husbands and honoring them every day. In other words, we may not always feel respect, but we are still called to be respectful. Ephesians 5.33 specifically calls a husband to love his wife as himself and a wife to respect her husband. This is an action done out of obedience to the Lord. Honoring our husbands will build trust and love in our marriages and actively respecting them will encourage them to embrace their God-given calling as leaders in the home. What does it look like to honor our husbands on a daily basis? Speak highly of your husband, always. When you're with your friends, when you're with your family, encourage those around you to do the same. Praise the things he does for you and your family, not just to others, but to him as well. Let him know that you appreciate his hard work, love and support. Send him a note or a text every now and then, telling him that you love him and thanking him for something specific he did that day. Pay attention to his needs and be a helper to him. My husband and I have two rental properties, and along with taking care of a very old farmhouse, his full-time job, two rambunctious boys and a baby on their way, our life fills up pretty quickly. He often rattles off lists of things that need to get done. I think it's just his way of like getting it out of his head so that he's not stressed out all the time. And I make it a point to try not only to listen, but to check off some of those tasks while he's at work. I'll mow the lawn, paint trim, although not lately, uh, get quotes for projects that need to get done, or simply have a quick dinner ready when he gets home so he can jump into more work himself. Even little things like making phone calls on his behalf can free up five minutes of time here and there, and that's helpful. Honor him not only with your words, but also with your nonverbal language. If you're like me, this one can be a real challenge. My face does not hide a single thing. And of course, if you've been married for a while, you learn to pick up each other's body language. Without uttering a single word, my husband knows almost exactly how I feel about something. It's not always a bad thing, except when I'm trying to be serious and not laugh. To be honest though, it is important to watch body language as it is an indicator of the level of respect you feel for him. How is your tone of voice? Do you roll your eyes or cross your arms when he's talking to you? Do you look away during conversation? These are things we need to watch out for. Be trustworthy. Be transparent about finances and your spending. Do not keep secrets from him. Follow through on your promises. When you say you're going to do something, make sure you do it. And pray for him. Let him know that you do. Sometimes I will send a prayer to my husband in a text while he's at work, especially if I know if it's a difficult day or he's stressed out about something. 
He knows he doesn't always need to respond, but it is always appreciated. Respecting your husband in these ways not only honors him as an authority over you, but it also honors the Lord as the ultimate authority over you both. Seeking to honor the Lord in your marriage helps to build that strong foundation for a life-giving home. Just as faithfulness and loyalty build to honor and respect, honor and respect come through our humility, which is the third building block we'll be talking about. Patience and understanding also fall into this category. Ephesians chapter four, verse two and three says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. As believers, we are called to walk in this manner in all things, but it, but it, it is especially important in marriage. And ironically, it might be the most challenging principle to practice. It's hard to be humble, especially with someone you share every aspect of life with. But humility is an essential ingredient for a healthy marriage. The day you get married, you become one flesh. And as time passes, humility strips away the selfish parts of yourself as your unity deepens. It strengthens that bond of peace referenced in Ephesians. I have personally found that practicing humility in marriage comes more naturally as you learn how to work through conflict together. I'm not saying you need to fight in order to be humble. But admitting you're wrong or making a mistake are some really effective ways to take your pride down a notch or two. My husband and I have some big have had some big fights in our eight, almost nine years of marriage. Some fights even lasted days. I'm not so great at that whole don't let the sun go down on your anger thing. As we have grown together and learned how to be more humble with each other, our disagreements have become fewer and far between. So how exactly did we learn to be humble? We learned how to prioritize our relationship making an effort to put each other first rather than our selfish needs or desires. We had intentional conversations about how we could be more patient with one another and obstacles that may hinder us from doing so. Honest and respectful communication became a rule in our marriage. Of course, these things didn't happen immediately, but through small daily purposeful actions. Let's discuss some of those. On a lighter note, it's important to have a sense of humor. Don't let little things turn into big things. In his book, Humility, True Greatness, C.J. Mahaney says, laughter is a divine gift to the human that is humble. So I'll give you a quick story as an example. This past summer, my husband took the boys on the men's camping trip with our church. I had the whole house to myself for two days, and it was amazing. Seriously, the first 20 minutes, I just sat there and I listened to the silence, like my air conditioner ran. Anyway, on the second day, I decided I was gonna tackle some house projects while Josh was away. One of them was this old baton swinging chair that we had sitting on the floor of our porch for months and it hadn't been put up. And I said, you know what? I'm going to put this chair up. And so I went hunting for tools and I was sending my husband text messages while he was away where these tools were what I needed. And that should have been one of my first red flags. Um, anyway, after about a couple of hours, I did finally get the chair hung up and I decided to test my handiwork. I very gingerly sat down in this chair and though it creaked, it held. And so for that day, I enjoyed my swinging rattan chair with my cup of coffee. Um, so when my husband got back, we had my cousin and his family over for dinner a few nights later, and they were talking about the camping trip. I decided to show off my chair on the porch, and my cousin decided to test the durability of my craftsmanship as well. With the look on his face, I'll never forget. He sat down in this chair, and we immediately heard not a creak, but a crash. The chair fell to the floor, along with a pretty decent-sized chunk of our original circa 1925 b ceiling. 
there was about a 15 second lull of silence as I played out the possible scenarios in my head. My husband could have instantly gotten angry at the extra work he now had to do. I could have gotten defensive, blaming him for not putting that chair up himself all of those months. But instead, we both just started to laugh. In fact, we all laughed. So a chunk of our ceiling was missing, and a few toddlers were almost injured by some falling hardware. My husband just said, well, I guess I should have helped you a while ago. And I said, I should have waited for your help instead of going into the project myself. A hole in the ceiling may not be a small thing to everybody, but having some grace for each other and the ability to laugh enabled us to apologize immediately to each other and move on. This is where that open and honest communication comes in. I also learned the value of a stud fighter. <sighs> Speaking of grace, Mahaney's book on humility also says, one purpose for every conversation you have in every personal interaction is that the person who hears you will receive grace. The biblical definition of grace is freely given, undeserved favor. Always be willing to give grace so that you can receive grace. Be quick to forgive. Don't linger in anger or resentment towards your spouse. If something is bothering you, wait until you're able to speak about it with a level head and bring it up to your husband with the intention of seeking a solution, not just to air out grievances. Remember that you are one flesh. Treat him as respectfully as you would like to be treated. Give him that favor even if he is undeserving, as Christ shows favor to us as sinners. I read an article on humility that said to practice, not my will, but yours. And I thought that was an interesting approach. In marriage, this could look like saying, not my choice of restaurant tonight, but yours. Although that one's kind of funny because I don't think the woman ever wants to choose the restaurant. Not my choice of a movie this time, but yours. Not my night to have uninterrupted sleep, but yours. Not my story to dominate the conversation, but yours. Not my dream to pursue, pursue right now, but yours. Be willing to joyfully put your husband before yourself, even in little things. So all of these foundational building blocks, all of these attributes of Christ-like love, faithfulness, honor, respect, humility, work together in a marriage to preserve a bond of unity, which is the fourth and final building block we'll discuss today. In fact, Unity is more than just a building block in this sense. It is the cornerstone of a strong marriage. If we are united with our husbands, things seem to go smoothly. Life feels a little more balanced. But if we are uneven in any way, we feel that too. There may be more conflict, or it may be difficult to practice, practice different attributes of love. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14 says, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Pay close attention to the wording here. We are to put on love. That implies action on our part. Actively loving our husbands creates a perfect bond. And we must be careful to preserve it, to keep that unity. Let's talk about some of the ways we can do that. Pray together. This is a game changer. I know most of us probably are used to sharing prayer requests with our Bible studies or small groups or even on social media. But do we share them with our husbands? A little over a year ago, my husband had a very serious accident at work, and subsequently I battled some pretty intense anxiety. I, oh, I'm sorry, I lost my place. It bled into all areas of my life, and I would have almost daily panic attacks, allowing myself to dwell on what might have been. One night, or actually in the very early hours of that morning, I was in the midst of uncontrollable panic when my husband said, let me pray for you right now. 
As he prayed for me, even though the physical effects of panic were still present, my mind began to calm. I felt protected by his reminder to me that God was still present in that moment, even if I didn't feel that way at the time. Since then, we have made it a daily practice to not only share our prayer requests with each other, but to pray together. It has brought a new level of intimacy to our marriage. Speaking of intimacy, it is important to make sure that this isn't the last things on our minds. Intimacy, both in and out of the bedroom, is an essential ingredient to a healthy marriage. Why is it so essential? Think back to some of the references in scripture we've gone over this morning. God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about husbands and wives fulfilling each other's needs and the importance of not neglecting time together. A man and a woman's body were created to fit together physically, both for the purposes of pleasure and for having children, and to create a level of unity that is unique to a husband and wife alone. This is all by God's design. Intimacy is what brings you to a new level of love and friendship with your spouse that is unmatched by any other relationship in your life. What are some of the ways we can tend to intimacy in marriage? Preserve your bedroom for you and your husband alone. We talked about this a little bit earlier. Be proactive. Make time for date nights, day dates, or find time whenever you can to be alone together. In our house right now, during the years of raising toddlers, alone time sometimes just looks like putting a movie on for the kids while my husband and I cook dinner together. Be open and honest about your physical and emotional needs with your husband, especially if you are overcoming past hurts or if you are struggling with intimacy. Also ask him what he wants or needs. Don't underestimate the power of simple physical touch. Hold hands in the car, rub his shoulders after a long day at work, or take his arm when you're out and about. My husband is a wrestler, and sometimes a playful headlock is his way of flirting. We're working on that. <laughs> Be intimate with your speech. Confide in your husband in a way that is exclusive to only him. Flirt with him the way you did when you were dating. My husband and I have pet names and inside jokes we've shared for years and still pull them out every now and then. I'll send him a text while he's at work or he'll give me that look when we're out and about. It can be simple little things that help you stay connected. It is okay if these things aren't always easy or achievable. The importance is in the effort and preserving that special and exclusive bond. Finally, do all things as one, or at least the big things. You don't need to do the laundry together or go grocery shopping together, although that's kind of nice if I'm being honest. But make the big decisions together. Set goals together. Parent your children together. Let your children see you as a team. Never contradict each other in front of them. Consider your home. Talk about what you want it to look like, how you want it to serve your family, how you want others to feel when they come in. As you build your home, your life, from the foundation up, remember that you are one, working together, intentionally making an effort to practice that unconditional love Paul talks about in that ever-familiar Corinthians passage quoted in your wedding ceremony. From the day you say your vows before God, you are bound to your husband in a unique and spiritual bond unlike any other, a bond that is meant to mirror Christ's unconditional love for the church. Remember that this is a blessing and a privilege that you are called to. Through a godly marriage, you have the opportunity to bring forth life, in the form of children, an open and welcoming home, a deep and fulfilling relationship that feeds you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Work to create that strong foundation and keep God at the center of your marriage. Practice those foundational building blocks daily. 
faithfulness, honor, humility, and unity. Choose to put on Christ-like love to preserve that perfect bond, and you will see God's blessings in your marriage and in your home. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done and continue to do in our lives and marriages. Help us, Father, to identify and work through anything that is not pleasing to you so we can continually build unity in our marriage, spiritually, physically, and mentally. We are thankful and excited to see the work of your hand as we do our best to seek you daily. We love you and thank you for all that you have given us. Amen. Okay, let's take a minute and remember those four things that she called us to think about in regard to our marriage. First, she said, we need to commit to steadfast faithfulness. Serve our husbands diligently and be faithful to what God has put in front of us. Second, she called us to honor and respect our husbands with our words and actions and our facial expressions. No rolling eyes here. She called us to practice humility. We need to have this mindset of not mine, but yours in regard to our husband. Not my decision, not my plans, not my choice, but yours as you look and honor your husband with your actions and your words. This is definitely a hard challenge, but it is a good one. And finally, she called us to have a strong unity with a base of love that we need each and every day of our marriage to actually put on that love, like it says in Colossians. A big way to be proactive in this is to pray together and to pray for each other. I hope that you were challenged and encouraged by this talk, and I hope that you can find at least one area to work on in your marriage this week. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Taylor and her willingness to speak. I thank you for the fact that we can all learn from this, whether we've been married one year or 50 years, Lord. Help each woman listening to love her husband more and to build her marriage stronger, Lord. Give us strength to honor you with each part of our marriage. May we bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And it's time for this episode's tiny tidbit. A tiny tidbit is just a small, tiny piece of information that can help you in a really big way. Today's tiny tidbit is brought to you from Kylie Ursham. Kylie, how are you? Good. How are you, Julie? Good. What do you want to talk about today on our tidbit? So first of all, I'm going to give a shout out to Bill, my husband, and I'm going to say he is still my best friend mm. and he's my favorite person in the world. So mm. that's a that's a lot to accomplish on his end. Yes. All right. A little shout out sounds good to me. Yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah. Go husbands. So I have just three little bullet points. Number one, have fun with your husband. So that includes you know, treating him at the door when he gets home um, mm-hmm. with a smile and a hug or kiss or whatever works for you guys. Meaning you have to stop doing what you're doing. Right. This isn't just calling from the laundry room. No, 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 no. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, we've all all heard the little um, dog greets husband at the door with a, you know, excited attitude and their tails just wagging away. So we don't have to wag our tails, but (laughs) we do need to greet them at the door with a smile and and just treat treat them like you're happy that they came home. Yes. Yeah. Another fun thing that I think is important is still doing what you were doing when you were dating. So okay, that would include 
dating. <laughs> okay. So um, have fun with your husband. Look back to what you did when you were um, courting or dating and continue to do those things. And just briefly, I want to say that's going to look different depending on what age your children are, depending mm-hmm. on your finances. When we were first married, we were having kids often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we didn't make as much money as we do nowadays. And so the dates might include just yeah. you know, something simple. Um, having your mom or your mother-in-law, that's super helpful for them to give you short breaks. We were yes. really blessed in that. And you can do things that are fun for cheap. Yes, you, you can. Know, summertime. If <clears throat> excuse me, if if it's really um, tight financially, pack a lunch, go to the park, do some hikes. Yeah. Um, if that's not your thing, and eating is, because mm-hmm. Bill and I do like to go out to eat, mm-hmm. and that would include some Mexican. Mexican <laughs> food <laughs> is super cheap. Yeah. Go share yeah. a single portion of fajitas. You'll probably still take some home and. Yeah. With a good tip, you're in and out for 20 or 25 yeah. hours. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, I heard of a, a woman who, she and her husband likes um, likes houses. Oh, It's yeah. not me, on a side note. <laughs> but likes houses, and she likes the craftsmanship, how they look. Yeah. And he likes the craftsmanship, and they drive around. That's their date. Oh, yeah, see? So, like, it's Super just spending cheap. time together. It didn't cost them anything. Yeah. I, I, they might get a fun coffee, you know. Yeah. What a good idea. So, probably something they did when they were dating. Yes, yes, Who's I think so. Bring that back or keep it. Yep. And the other thing about dates is it's going to look different stage to stage of how long you're away. Mm. So when they're little um, little tiny tots, we would just go out to dinner and come back. Mm-hmm. Or a movie and right. dinner and come just back. Just a couple hours. Yeah. And then as they got older and easier for like grandparents to watch because they weren't like two and a half, one and zero. Right. Right. Um, we started going away for weekends. Our first weekend, super cheap. We rented a, a hotel room and stayed in Hocking Hills. Nice. For the weekend. I love Hocking Hills. Oh, so pretty. If you're local to Northwest Ohio, you need to take a trip to yeah. Hocking Hills. It's super close. Yeah. Relatively speaking. Yeah. And then as the kids got older, um, we started leaving them alone. And we yeah, because they could do it. And the stay. Right. Yeah. I think Ben was 15 when we went to Southern Ohio, and that was like four days. It yeah. It was wonderful. Yeah. You know, everything's, again, fairly cheap. You, you drive around, see scenery. Um, and then the last probably three years... We've gotten away on our, our uh, anniversary every time. Um, so we call it our honeymoon. Okay, <laughs> I like it. Because it just keeps happening. Yes, <laughs> that's wonderful. right. I like that. So the last uh, three years, we go to Mexico. Um, and we've gone from eight days to we just got back from an 11-day. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. my goodness. It's so nice. And you look forward to it every year. Yes. And, you know, you just stash it. We, have, we, have, we call it our monthly honeymoon yep. payment. Every yep. month we put money in a little fund and... We go and everything's paid for yep. before because you never want to go on vacation and pay for it afterwards. Yes. No, 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 no. no, don't. no. Yeah, don't so, do that. Uh, but anyway, that time is um, precious. Yeah. And then not going away, um, we have teenagers keep food available. Yes. <laughs> so have fun with your husband and your kids. Yeah. And their significant elders that they are now bringing around. And the key is feed them. Yeah, food's so, a good one. Yeah, just have food and some pops and, you know, you sit around the kitchen and chit-chat. And that's super fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Making- and I, I've actually um, gone out on a date with my husband with my married kids. Oh, yeah. Which was also fun. Kind of oh, another yeah. level. Um, and also, Bill and I, when our kids were little, one of our favorite dates was after the kids went to bed. Oh, we yes. did bring out the fun food. I know yeah. that everybody always says that, you know, people bring out the good food when the kids go to bed, but oh, yeah. we really did. <laughs> and it was fun. Yeah. Whatever your uh, yeah. your fun is. 
Um, point number two, figure out your husband's love language. So that's probably going to be different. Um, my mm-hmm. love language is different than Bill's. Some of it matches up, but a lot of the first like one or two things is different for him than it is me. So mm. take a little fun quiz. They're all over the place. There's books, um, Christian books on um, figuring that out, loving your husbands in that way, and then actually do that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Bill's love language is, you know, just putting my hand on his thigh or putting my arm around him at church. And mm-hmm. the first few times, that's different for me, it's, you know, and so I was like, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do this. So um, figuring that out and actually doing it. That The third point I want to talk about is making him feel that he is the most important person in the world, like when you're dating. Mm-hmm. So go back to those times and um, kid times. That sometimes it's just simple, like teaching them not to interrupt. It is so mm-hmm. easy as a mom when a kid says, Mom, blah, 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 to look away from your husband in the middle of conversation. Right. And then it's like, oh, I just did that. So yeah. get in the habit because yeah. it will shut them down. Yeah. Like they'll just be like, okay, I'm done. Right. <laughs> not interested in talking anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually asked Bill, final point. Okay. I, I asked Bill, what is the top one or two things that you feel that I'm loving you, you know, that things are going well. And he said, not necessarily in order, but it just came straight out of his mouth. Keep um, keep your husband the first above kids, mm-hmm. definitely above your parents. Mm, that's tricky. <laughs> and yes. your friends. So, yeah. And, and your work. Yeah. So just always try to make sure that they're first. That was easy when you're dating. So just, yes. uh, you know, Carry think that back. Through. Yes, yes. And if you haven't done it for a while, it's going to be a little, little more difficult. Yeah, but purposeful. Get her done. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, and then the the probably the most important thing for many husbands is to meet his na- needs in the intimacy part. Mm-hmm. Does yeah. it automatically mean? I mean, it should include, you know, the real part of intimacy. But again, it just goes back to me placing my hand on his thigh. Mm-hmm. You know, simple right. things as well. So. Yeah, those are good. And I like this idea. I think all I kept hearing through what you've talked about with husbands is. It requires us to be purposeful. Yes. It's not something that happens kind of naturally. And so it requires us to think, okay, how can I love my husband? How can I do this? I think a great question to ask your husband every day, if you can, is how can I help you today? Yes. What's one thing I can do for you? And sometimes my husband will be like, I have no more underwear in my drawer. You know, and I'm like, (laughs) oh, that's easy. I can do that. Or sometimes he'll say, can you come with me and help paint at one of our our houses? You know, and I'm like, why did I ask that question? (laughs) But it shows love. You know, yes. it's just a way that says, I'm here to help you and support you. Yeah. So I love I love those ideas are great and great for us to think about. Yes. Thank you for having me talk. Yeah. About thank you, Kylie. Thanks so much for joining us today. Join us next week for a set of two, two episodes that are going to come out in the next two weeks. And these episodes are focused for all the young ladies out there, right? And these are called What's a Girl to Do? So part one um, focuses on what is a girl, a young lady, going to do with all the relationships in her life? You know, her relationship with God, her parents, her relationship with friends, and even a conversation about relationships with boys. Part two, which is coming up in two weeks, is going to be all about what a girl should do in her everyday life, like sports and jobs and school and youth group, hobbies, and even what to do maybe after you graduate from high school. It's 
going to be a very great episode series. And although this is aimed towards ladies in their junior high, high school, or college age, it's actually quite helpful for anyone to listen to who even has a young lady in your life. You know, your daughter, a niece, uh, a young lady in your Bible study or small group. It's really going to be helpful to walk through some of the aspects of this time period. So I hope that you'll join us for those upcoming episodes. Hey, don't forget to follow or like us on your favorite social media platform. We are on Facebook or Instagram, and you can follow us at Women of the Word CTW. It is a great place to find lots of good content. We share all kinds of things all week on there. Also, don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast directory. We are on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, CastBox, Spotify, Anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're there, and we would love to be the next one in your queue. And finally, remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God, until next time. <music>